Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Let me talk to you. Yeah. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned in to the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you. So after the show, Pad, where should everybody head to? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing on over to the website. Check out all the social media links. We've updated everything on the link tree, so that's the QR code at the bottom of the homepage. So if you want to find us on Blue Sky, if you want to find us on Threads, it's all been updated. So there's no way that we can't interact with you about what we're talking about on the show once you've done listen once you're done listening to the show. See, I get so animated, I kind of mess up my words a little bit, but that's why we do it live, folks. Also, while you're at the website, check out the Patreon link, one tier, two dollars a month, and a lot of content on the way. The T Public Store, the blog section, new reviews are dropping left and right there. The classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, Nerd Initiative, and so many more. The directory. Pat, how many providers are we on? 711,000. That's right. And that's a lot. So if we're not on some podcast player that you're listening to us from that we don't know about, because I don't know how that would happen, just hit us up and let us know. But if you want to make sure that you're following on your favorite provider, we have the links right there. So it's that easy to do. So you can listen to the ODPH wherever you are in the world. Also, make sure to check out the music section. A lot of our friends that are so gracious with their music to allow us to play here on the show are up to a lot of new things. There's a new EP coming up from Brian Wolf and the Howlers this week. Yeah, he's got a new shirt I saw in the wild here in the 607. Yeah. So he's making some moves, and he's down in Austin, Texas. Plus, we have a lot of our friends locally doing some business here, too. Second Suitor, Shout at the Robots, Floodlands is recording a new album. So there's a lot of great music to go find out there, and you definitely want to make sure you go check it out. So like I said, the links are all right there. And if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, we have to recap a show that has had a very unique reaction as of late. Yes. And I don't know why, because Pat and I have both been very pleased with the show. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the past two entertainment editions, first and foremost, thank you for checking those out. We have been covering this show, and we've really enjoyed what we've seen. But I'm noticing a lot of online chatter mm-hmm. that fans are not as fully invested as we are. Yeah. And that's cool. Like I say, if you have a real legitimate reason why, I never argue with that. But I just find it very interesting that fans are thinking the show is going too slow. Mm -hmm. And that's the big gist that I've been hearing a lot online lately when we've talked to our uh, fellow listeners after the show. And everybody has a different take of what the show is expected to be. And that show is the latest addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe via Disney Plus and Marvel Studios. Secret Invasion, starring the one and only Samuel L. Jackson reprising his role as Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. And he has quite the dilemma on his hand with an invasion of the scrolls per se, happening all around him. Yeah. So that being said, the show is done in a spy thriller setup. Which means it ain't, you know, 
foot to the gas pedal to the floor, zero to 99 in 3.1 seconds. You know, it, it's not going to, like, blow your socks off out the gate. Like, it'll get there, mm-hmm. but it's a slow burn. Exactly. So we have known that this was going to be like this from the get-go. And I think a lot of fans are just so clamoring for give it to me now mm-hmm. instead of let it simmer, let it you know build. And I get that to a degree, but we can't have everything going at such a fast pace that you lose track of the story. Right. And I think what they've done here with the show, they played it very safe thus far. Yeah. And I think fans are getting a little antsy, if I can use that word. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's an accurate you know representation of what people are feeling. Because with six episodes for this series... And we're now halfway through. Yeah. Fans are expecting a lot. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, have we really been that disappointed with an MCU show to that level like we haven't gotten a big payoff at the end? I can't really think of one. Thus far on Disney Plus, no. No, I mean, Moon Knight is very questionable because fans yeah. fans have a varying opinions about what that yeah. show should have really been. Yeah. She-Hulk, we thought, ended as well as it was going to because... She-Hulk was what we expected it to be. Exactly. They paid homage to the John Byrne run and Dan Slott, and you know many of the comic creators were She Breaks the Fourth Wall. I don't feel that's a yeah. spoiler. No. So with this show, we know what to expect, and I feel they're going to deliver some big payoff. Mm-hmm. I don't think the internet is going to break per se. No. But it doesn't have to break every time. I think a lot of it is just people setting up themselves with expectations that might be just a hair too high. You know, and that and that comes with the territory with Marvel and and the build up and the expectations. You know, but with the whole speculation that oh, one of the we're going to find out one of the Avengers is a scroll mm-hmm. and it's going to be a major one. It's going to be Captain America or Tony or Thor or, or pick your one of your major, you know, Avenger heroes, Spider-Man, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, they're setting themselves up for like, it's going to be this huge major reveal and it's got every possibility that it could. Right. But because it hasn't happened this far and you know, the, you know, what hasn't hit the fan yet and stuff's not blowing up sideways. Fights aren't happening, happening in the middle of downtown New York city or wherever, you know, that they're like, what? Why is this not happening? Oh, this isn't what I expected it to be. Oh, this isn't what I had pictured in my head was going to happen. Because you're not writing the show. Exactly. So it's just always good to let things breathe and let the story grow organically. Yeah. And I think with the latest episode that we're going to be recapping, I think they've elevated some things, but I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors behind it. Yeah. So that being said, we're going to get into our spoiler-free portion of our review. So if you're new to the OEPH, like we always say, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. We like to give a spoiler-free statement concerning what we're going to be talking about, so we don't ruin anything for you, but you can kind of get an idea what we're going to talk about. If you haven't seen the show, we're not going to ruin anything for you. But we do give you a countdown if you need to jump out for whatever reason. After that countdown, we go deep diving into spoilers. Nothing is held back, so you have been forewarned. Mm-hmm. Pat is very gracious with putting the timestamps in the liner notes of the show. Yep. So, like we say, there is no chance we can ruin this for you. So, all of that out of the way, Pad, give me your spoiler-free statement about episode three of Secret Invasion, entitled "Betrayed." This is a good episode. You know, a lot of tension, a lot of espionage, spy thrilling. Uh, you know, tension with it was kind of like, oh shit! I thought. Things are going to kick off like crazy, but then they pulled it back a little bit. You know, I think with as much as the tension is building at some point, it's going to kick off. But I don't think necessarily to the degree they're kind of hinting at or they're a lot, you know, with the between the nations and everything else, you know, but the episode was good. 
super interested to see where they go because for as much as you think they might peel back the layers on some stuff, you find out there's even more layers underneath. Mm-hmm. But this episode was awesome. Yeah, I have to agree. I really enjoyed this episode. I wasn't so enthralled with it. I don't think it's the greatest episode we've seen on the Disney Plus app. Mm-hmm. But I will say I was very entertained with what we had. And the big takeaway that they really want to drive home with this episode, and I think they nailed it, Kingsley Ben-Adir, who plays Gravik, mm-hmm. is a menace and a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, he is. And I think that now that his plan is starting to come to fruition, mm-hmm. we're seeing a more ruthless villain, Yeah, a more aggressive, active mindset about what they want to do. Yeah. And I think for the MCU in general... They do a good job establishing villains. However, the follow-through sometimes doesn't hit the mark. Yeah, that's certainly happened a few times. And, and listen, they've certainly brought their A-game with him because at this point you have to. Yes. When you look at the track record of villains that have come through the MCU, whether they've lived or died, you know, irregardless. You know, Loki, Thanos, Chitari, Ego, you know, the list goes on and on and on and on and on of just how great the villains are that, like, you can't really come with a subpar villain for the series because otherwise people are going to tune out almost instantly. Mm-hmm. But I think they're they're doing a really good job about keeping the tension steady. Mm-hmm. A couple shocking moments here, but yeah. with this show, nothing is said and done until we get to the final credits. This is true. So that being said, let us get into that spoiler talk, shall we? So in three, two, one, pad, talk to me. Like I said, I thought it was a great episode. I, I dug the tension between with the United Nations plane and the nuclear submarine or whatever it was. I thought that was awesome. It reminded me a little bit of Jack Ryan almost. So I, I dug, Agreed. That, dug that, you know, and then just the tension building and kind of like what's going to happen between Talos and his daughter, you know, and, oh, she's working on his side, but is she going to be able to safely pull this off? You know, because if you've ever seen spy movies, to varying degrees, that either works brilliantly or fails miserably. Mm-hmm. You know, so the tension building with that was awesome. And then just the continued, you know, Fury being the fish out of water. That for every instance we've seen him outside of Captain Marvel, oh, that, that was a young Nick Fury. That was a wet behind the ears Nick Fury. Right. Every other instance after that, we've seen him as he's grizzled. He's he's sharpened like a... Like a uh, weapon Mm -hmm. and he knows what to do and he's calm cool collected that like even when the avengers were kind of down and out on their business he's like come on you guys are the effing avengers like you got this i didn't unite you together to just have you know tea and cookies Mm -hmm. you know but to see him kind of on his heels a little bit and kind of like whoa and he like still hasn't found his footing that he doesn't quite know all right i need to do a to get to b to get to c and D is the end game. Yep. Is is real interesting to see just because he's always been the rock and the hey, as long as Fury's okay with it, we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And he's not okay. He's he's so far out of his element that he's drawing on some stuff and he's you know, having some elements of like, okay, I have an idea what to do, but he still has no idea what it's it's is going on. It's been refreshing to see. Absolutely. I think the one thing that this story is really bringing to the forefront is Nick Fury is not the same Nick Fury that we've seen throughout the many years of the MCU now. Mm -hmm. That this is a true test for his character, a test of his abilities, and being the person that is always one step ahead of everybody 
in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he's now two steps behind. Mm-hmm. Arguably three. Well, you have to think with his time away with the effects of Avengers Endgame and the blip. Yep. That now he is back and the world has moved on without him. And how much things have changed. And it's really interesting to see how much has moved on. Yeah. Because he's just been in space. Well, and you think about it, too, from the time, you know, of the events of Captain Marvel up until, you know, Infinity War, Mm -hmm. he was always ahead of the eight ball. Right. You know, he was always the one that like, oh, hey. You know, there's this alien force invading New York and attacking the entire city and the five boroughs. Uh, conveniently enough, I've got this superhero squad of, of superpowered individuals who can handle this situation. I just need to get them together and I got to, you know, get them to fight together and all that. But like, hey, I've got that ready. That's in my back pocket. You know, everything was shield. Oh, hey, I've got shield in my back pocket. No worries. We're good to go. You know, oh, same thing with all the Avengers stuff. But then he disappeared, and all of a sudden, he wasn't in front of the eight ball. Yeah, he wasn't out in front of it like, oh, I got this. He's he's behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. He's like, shit, I'm playing catch up, and I don't know what to do. Right, because this is just such uncharted waters for him, and he's just treading right now. Mm-hmm. He's not swimming comfortably. No. Because Gravik has been a step ahead of him the entire time, mm-hmm. even to the end of episode two's show. Where we find out that a scroll has apparently been impersonating Nick's wife mm-hmm. for quite some time, mm-hmm. which is a real interesting play, but it goes into Gravik's master plan, I feel. Right, right. Because the one thing that he has done is Gravik has established key scrolls to be double agents mm-hmm. And put them in positions where they can have a massive influence over the public. Right, because we, like we found out in the last episode, the person who's the head of NATO is a scroll. Mm. The British Prime Minister is a scroll, and that was only the big ones we knew about. Like, we've yet to find out if there's one in the U.S. government. There's been hints about it, and there's been allegations that there might be. Nothing firm has been said. The only instance we've seen of the U.S. government was the one scene in episode one where the president was talking to Rhodey. And then Rhodey showing up in episode two as a representative, although really it's not the government. It's not the government as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to bet there's got to be someone high up in, in the U.S. government who's uh, a scroll. It wouldn't surprise me if it's the president. That'd be fucking crazy. Well, you have to think of how strategic Gravik has been. Yeah. And especially if you can have Nick Fury's wife impersonated. And they're influencing Nick's decisions. See, I don't know if it's impersonated or like he knows she's a scroll. They're kind of loose with that. They were because they, that's how they opened up the episode. We do get like this very quick background of how they met. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, a very interesting story of how they played it because they did not reveal everything. Right. But it's left open about how much they knew and how much they didn't. Mm-hmm. So I really did like seeing that. And obviously Charlene Woodard, who plays Priscilla Fury, a.k.a. Vara, mm-hmm. uh, really did a nice job with this, too, because... We at home have an idea what's going on, but the one thing is with this show, you can't say for certain that that's what it is. And I love how they're influencing where she might have had more impact on Nick mm-hmm. and his rationale. Yeah. So while he is dealing with this situation, Gravik has announced his plans to the Skrull Illuminati, if you will. That's the vibe I got. Yeah, which I love how they set this up because he has all these key scrolls that are impersonating the 
world powers, and mm-hmm. he's telling him about his plans. And sure enough, as the widespread online rumors have been, uh-huh. he has announced, Pat, he is doing what? They want to become super scrolls, a.k.a. scrolls with all the abilities they normally have, you know, shapeshifting, you know, all that other stuff. But they also want to have the abilities of some superpowered individuals with their DNA. Mm-hmm. And this is something that is not new to comic readers, albeit, though, it is different from the comics in a very big way. Right. In the comics, the Super Scrolls is based off the Fantastic Four power set. Right. They are not doing that in the MCU for many reasons. <laughs> One of which being, as we know right now in 2023, and if you're listening to this in the future, hey, if we're wrong, don't blame us. This is what we know as of present recording. The Fantastic Four are not around yet. Mm-hmm. Like, there hasn't been a mention. There hasn't been a hint as to what's happened. So, obviously, they got to make some changes. Right. But they're tying into other elements of characters that have already been established in the MCU, which I think is smart. Yeah. Because you would think that when, and I do mean when, the yeah. Fantastic Four do run into the scrolls, because I've, it, it's got to happen. It's going to happen. At yeah. some stage. Yeah then that might be when they do the traditional Super Scroll after they've been defeated by them. I could see it. Wait, yeah, which if Gravik hopefully is still around because obviously everybody knows the track record of Marvel villains is usually one series and done, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole other podcast. I think that if he's still around, I think that that's a great setup you can run with. But while he's also explaining this, he is revealing about he decided to infiltrate the Royal Navy. Yeah... And, Pad, what is he planning on doing here? So he's got the British Royal Navy infiltrated, and they've got control of a submarine that has missiles on it. Now, whether they're nuclear missiles or just plain old <laughs> exploding missiles, uh, not really sure. Uh, but there is a United Nations aircraft headed to a meeting mm-hmm. because, hey, as has been alluded to in the previous two episodes, Shit's about ready to kick off. Like World War Three is like on the brink of happening between a bunch of nations. Mm-hmm. So the United Nations, hey, this is what they're here for. This is what they're around for. Uh, you know, they, they're looking to prevent that. But he's got control of this Royal Navy submarine, and it's his plan that once it hits a certain point in its flight path, that the submarine is going to launch missiles at the aircraft blowing it up thereby lighting the powder keg for world war three mm-hmm. social tensions are running high between the nations right and his end plan with this is world war three you know humans will kill themselves off and we're left to run the planet mm-hmm. it's very scary about how he's been orchestrating these events Mm-hmm. because it's almost precision like yeah very and, surgical and there is very little opposition to him but there is one person that has been watching his moves and is trying to play... I don't, It feels like he's playing both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. And that is Talos, mm-hmm. played by Ben Mendelsohn, who's been exceptional in this role. Yeah. And he finally gets the meeting he's been trying to do for two episodes now. Yep. He finally meets with Gravik. Yep. And this is the scene that we see in, in the trailers and, and what such. Yep. So they do wind up going to a restaurant slash cafe. Yeah. And they're having a sit down and trying to basically come to terms with each other. I mean, that's mm. the easiest way I can describe it. And neither one wants to give an inch. Right, because Talos has personal issues against Gravik, rightfully so, because Gravik allegedly is responsible for killing his wife. Yeah. And with the influence he has on his daughter Gaia, played by Amelia Clark, mm-hmm. 
Talos's vested interest in this is extremely high. Well, and he's also trying to sell to Gravik that, like, hey, you're underestimating the humans. Mm-hmm. That, like, you think they're at their most vulnerable when their back's against the wall. But And I'm paraphrasing. He goes, you know, you think they're at their most vulnerable when their backs are against the wall. But as I've seen... You know, because we know Talos has been around and been involved with the humans since, you know, the early to mid 90s. Right. So he's been there for the events from Iron Man one all the way up through where we are presently. So he's seen everything. Mm -hmm. He goes, that's when they're when they're up against the wall is when they're at their most dangerous. And he basically says, you got to be careful or else you'll get killed. Mm -hmm. And Gravik is not hearing this. You can call it arrogance. You can call it confidence. Yeah. He is just brushing this off because he sees what he's been able to do. And you know what? I didn't fault his character about this. He's feeling real good about himself. Well, how could you not? Yeah. You've secretly put sleeper agents in key positions all over the At the highest level. Yeah. And I think, I know I repeat that a lot, but you have to let that sink in for a second. You think about how if the key leaders of the free world are really at each other and working each other yeah, to send their nations at war to each other. Yeah. It's a very strategic move and Gravik has pulled this off. Yeah. And he's not willing to play nice with Talos because he feels that Nick Fury and the human race let him down about their plan about finding them a new home. So Gravik is definitely pushing the boundaries a bit in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And when he says he's could possibly kill Talos's daughter, Gaia, Mm-hmm. Talos reacts and gets up out of the chair and threatens him, and that's the moment you saw. Yeah, Gravik is not alone at this meeting. No, Pat, how many scrolls were there? Would you say I didn't get a firm number, but it's literally every single person in the room. Mm-hmm. Then there's got to be what would you say, fifteen, twenty? Ah, uh, yeah, somewhere at Easy. least, Easy. at least. And it's smart, and Talos you can tell is much like Nick Fury in this stage. Yeah. He's wanting to see something and wanting to believe, but how could you think that Gravik was going to meet you and not have a plan in place? Oh, my God, yeah. It's it's like any time you see in movies or television, that like, oh, you got two sides agreeing to meet each other. Come alone. Don't bring any backup. Okay, odds are one side or both are bringing backup. Mm -hmm. So Talos, though, gets to leave. Yeah. Which I, I was very surprised at. I'm not saying I was expecting his character to get killed off, but knowing what he knows, I was surprised Gravik let him go. Well, every megalomaniac makes a mistake somewhere along the way that comes back to bite him in the ass, and, well, this might be it. Fair point, Pat, because Talos does get help from Gaia, yeah. of all people, who tells his, her dad, hey... There is an attack that's going to set off World War III. Mm-hmm. Well, she slips him a cell phone, too, so he can get a hold of her without raising suspicion. Yeah. So very smart moves going on here because Gaia is playing both sides of the fence very, very well. Well, I think it's a case of she bought into what Gravik was saying because on some level she believed in it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's it's like with Draco Malfoy in uh, the Harry Potter series. where like, he bought into it. He was all for it. But then he hit a certain level of like in the organization. He's like, yeah, this ain't what I signed up for. This isn't what I thought it would be. I'm not okay with some of this. I think she's in a lot of the same place. She's like, don't get me wrong. I want some of this and I'm okay with some of this, but the levels to which you're willing to take it are not the levels at which I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So with this information, Talos does meet up with Fury. Yep. 
and their friendship and partnership is strained. Oh, it's holding on by a thread. Well, you have to understand both sides of the coin here, too. Fury has been gone for quite some time. Talos, we're not sure how much interactions he, he's had with him in this entire yeah. time he's been in space. Yeah. You, you would think there is some kind of line of communication, but... It sounds like there wasn't. Right, but with Nick Fury, Covert is probably his middle name. Right, well, and plus the thing, too, is I think Talos even brings it up in this conversation where he goes, oh, you were the, you were always there, and yada, yada. Then you disappeared, and when you came back, you ran away to space. Mm-hmm. So there is already some hurt feelings there, to put it mildly. Yeah. But now they have to basically put their grievances aside for the greater good because basically if they don't get it together, Gravik is going to blow up the world and it's going to be game over for everybody. Yep. So Fury does get Talos to help him. They wind up going to the ultimate wild card in this situation. Mm-hmm. And, Pad, who is that? Oh, what's her name? She was in the first two episodes. I'm blanking on the name. Sonya Phone. Thank you. Yep, played they by Olivia end, Coleman. They end up calling her up, yeah. Yeah. Who, like I say, she is the ultimate wild card in this situation. Mm-hmm. And they do find out about who is in charge of the, the Royal Navy at this time. Well, yeah, because they call her for information. Of, like, they know an attack's coming. They know something's happening, and they figure she'll know. So mm-hmm. Fury calls her up, but she's obviously got her hands tied because of the events that happened in the previous episode in the meat locker. Right. And she's playing cleanup with that. But she goes, no, yeah. But he goes, hey, listen. You know, do me a favor. Can you look up this information for me? And and she reluctantly does and gives him the information that they're looking for this uh, Commodore, uh, Robert Fairbanks, Mm -hmm. who they find out is in control of this Royal Navy submarine with the missiles on it. And that they have to uh, get a hold of him or his impersonator so that they can stop World War Three from happening, at least temporarily. Yeah. So they wind up doing a home invasion. Yeah. Which is... Desperate times call for def- desperate measures. Goes about the way you think. Not, yep. Not well. No, it doesn't go well because they wind up busting into the house. They catch. They can't agree who's good cop, who's bad cop. Yeah. And you see Commodore Fairbanks is there with his son. Yeah. And Talos is ready to shoot everybody. Yeah, including the kid. Yeah. So he's definitely pushing the lines here. And Fury is trying to, I don't want to say play peacemaker, but he's kind of like. The same how we do things. Yeah, he's trying to come to some reason here, and it's just not happening because, obviously, with everything going on, there really is little room for this. Mm-hmm. And Talos, it seems like he gets the equation, but at the same time, you really don't know what he's thinking. Yeah. And that's the scary thing about this. So while they are there, they do wind up shaking him down, Yep, and they find out that, Surprise to no one. Yeah. He's been a scroll the entire time. Yep. Uh, and while they're shaking him down and trying to get the necessary information out of him, which he is oh so willingly <laughs> ready, to, ready to fork over you yeah. know, like a box of cookies. No, he, he gives nothing up. He infers or alludes to Talos that like, hey, I know your daughter's a double agent, you know, working with, you know, working on the side of Gravik, but also helping you and, and passing you some information. And he basically alludes it like, Hey, I'm going to tell graphic and I'm going to get her killed. So without saying that, you know, but he alludes to it. Uh, Talos puts two and two together and then outright shoots and kills 
uh, the guy impersonating, impersonating the Commodore. Mm-hmm. And Fury's like, dude, what the fuck? Like, we need him. Yeah. And he's not thrilled. No. The rage that was built up in Talos, like I say, this is a perfect reaction. It's a fatherly reaction. Mm-hmm. Like I say, Ben Middleton is doing such a, a great job with this role. And you can show about how this is more than saving the world. Mm-hmm. This is this is personal. Yeah. And you're seeing that contrast between Fury, who it's always been business. Mm-hmm. That now, with that element added in, yeah, it's a combustible dynamic, right? And how they're going to try working together to stop this, you can see the struggles are happening, right? So now we get to the point where Fury goes, "Hey, dumbass, we needed him for because Fury, being a military man, being a government man, knows he needs a, a, a code to give so that they will deactivate or call off the the attack. Mm-hmm. They're not just going to take you know." Because I, if I remember right, Talos even offers, oh, I'll just turn into him, I'll impersonate him, and I'll and I'll tell him to deactivate. And Fury goes, you can do that, but they're without the the code, they're not going to listen to you. So Talos then goes, oh wait, let me call my daughter, who's at the HQ of uh, Club Tal Club uh, Gravic, mm-hmm. and he says, hey, we need the de- the activation code, deactivation code, whatever the the word is. You know, we need the code to help stop this attack. Yeah. So she goes into the base and into where they're holding all of the actual humans that are being impersonated by scrolls, and she finds the Commodore. Mm. And she starts going through his memories, and we see quick glimpses of, like, military life and his family and all this. And, and then amongst the memories, she finds the code, gives it to Talos, and then Talos calls up the submarine all the meanwhile we're seeing the submarine in something out of you know uh, uh, jack ryan jack ryan we're like we this is an order because there's this whole sequence on the submarine between the you know the the servicemen who are like oh we've got to we can't do this yes we can it's it's verified it's from the top so they're arguing back and forth you know and so while the, so while they're in the middle of arguing talos calls and says this is commodore this is commodore you know robert fairbanks authorization code, whatever it is, he reads it off, you know, call off the mission. The mission is canceled. And while they're, they've got their keys or whatever in the ignition and they're ready to push the button to launch the missiles to start World War III with the plane being practically on top of them, mm-hmm. the call comes through from somebody else in the sub and it says, oh, you know, mission has been aborted, mission has been aborted, mission has been aborted. And both of the servicemen breathe a sigh of relief and the U.N. plane flies over not being destroyed yeah so score one for the good guys for now but no good deed goes unpunished yep because gaia is trying to sneak away before anybody realizes what happens smartly she steals a motorcycle and she takes off with the lights off Mm -hmm. but during her escape route into those woods yeah she runs into Gravik. Yeah, uh, Gravik is in a pickup truck or some sort of truck. He kicks on the high beams, blinds her, motorcycle falls to the ground. And he says, oh, where are you going? And she smartly come, tries to come up with an excuse and says, oh, you know, there was a problem with the mission. I'm going, you know, our guys are going to need exfiltration. You know, our, our agents are going to need exfiltration. And he goes, yeah, no, they're not going to. It was never about the plane. The plane was just a decoy. I, we needed to find out who the, the mole in our uh, ranks were, and it's you. Yeah. And he shoots and kills her. Right. Well, we think. Well, yeah, true. Because we do see her lying with a bullet in her stomach. 
We don't know the extent because that's one show. That's one thing about the show that we've been now trained for. Yeah, I don't believe anybody's gone until the final episode is is going to air. If this were Star Wars, I wouldn't believe she's done. I've seen people get cut in half. Oh, exactly. I mean, we just talk about it as what pad reasons. But the episode ends on a very unique note, though, mm-hmm. because we go back to Priscilla Fury, mm-hmm. and she's making her way through. It almost seems like it's a bank. Yeah, the nicest fucking bank I've ever seen. Yeah, is it's a very high end bank. And she's trying to get in touch with somebody. Yeah, well, she well she goes into like the safety deposit area. Yeah, which is the nicest fucking. I don't know where the hell she's living or where this is, but. God damn, this is a nice safety deposit. Mm -hmm. Marble floors, wood panels. Good Lord. She goes in and the the bank manager or whoever brings out the safety deposit box and drops it. And she looks like, you going to leave? Yeah. And he goes, I'll I'll leave you alone. And she opens the lid on the safety deposit box and it's a gun. Yeah. And she pulls it. Now, we don't know who it's from. Mm -hmm. We don't know who put it there. She just has her instructions to go get it. She just has her instructions to go get it. She leaves with said gun and then makes a phone call trying to get a hold of who can Gravik. except it's not Gravik. It's somebody else. One of his underlings, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she says, hey, you know, we need to, I need to speak to Gravik. And he's uh, she uh, she's told, no, you're dealing with me. Yeah. And that's how the episode ends. Uh huh. So a lot to speculate about. Yep. So what's your first initial instincts coming out of this, Pat? Uh, Fury can't trust his quote-unquote wife as far as he can throw her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I know it was con- he confronted her about it earlier in the episode. They're like, oh, are you on graphics? And she played it off that no. Right. So at this point, Talos is about the only person Fury can trust, mm-hmm. which is bad for him. You know, at some point, you got to figure Rhodey's going to figure into the, into the equation. Uh, again, I imagine he'll probably show up the next episode. Uh, but no, in terms of where things are going, I, I legitimately have no clue because they've layered this so well that it's hard to like peel away the layers and figure out, okay, this is probably where things are going to go. Mm-hmm. I think a couple things. I think the easiest one is Fury's wife is now going to be thought of as a double agent as well. Yeah, that could be. Because... Even though Gravik wanted to say everything was just a test about who the mole was, mm-hmm. I think that now he's realizing Fury is getting closer, and he obviously wants to make sure that there's no loose ends about him get, obtaining victory. Mm-hmm. And I think that phone call was the order to kill Fury. Just whoever was the middle person there is the big X factor. Yeah, that could be. And we don't know who that is. But it could be a new character they want to introduce to the MCU. It could be somebody very close to S.H.I.E.L.D. We don't know. But I think, though, that story is not going to be anywhere near close to ending in the next couple episodes for Priscilla uh, Fury. I think Gravik, though, is getting into the final stages of what he's going to do with Talos getting word that Gaia is dead. I I think that now you're going to see him... I don't want to say the word unhinged, but I think we're going to lean that way. Uh, Talos is going to have a lot less fucks to give. Yeah. I'm not going to just, say. Just saying, like, because I'm going to guess Gaia is dead. We could, obviously, that's Gaia impersonating, you know, whoever Amelia Clark is supposed to be. So we could see Amelia Clark back again as whatever character that's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, Talos is going to find out Gaia is dead. And now with Gravik having allegedly 
uh, killed his wife. Allegedly, allegedly. And and having killed directly his daughter, he's going to have an even sharper axe to grind against Gravik. And he's like I said, he's going to have very, le- very few fucks to give. Mm-hmm. But it all is building for one monumental finale in only three more episodes. There's so many more theories that Pat and I both have, but the takeaway that you can definitely get from this is we are enjoying this show. There's a lot to really just savor because we're seeing true spy work being done in the MCU. Mm -hmm. Last time we saw this was Winter Soldier, and it was phenomenal then. Seeing what they're doing here now, I know it's taking a while to get to that payoff, but I'm fully expecting Episode 5 to be the one that everybody's jaws hit the floor for. And we have a big build that's going to start happening now that nobody can skip out on. And we definitely have to talk with you, the ODPH Society, about it. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Episode 3 of Marvel Studios and Disney Plus's Secret Invasion entitled Betrayed? We want to talk. But we're going to take a quick break first, though. We'll be right back. Do you like comic books? What about movies and TV shows? Well, we may be the show for you. We're Hops Geek News, a weekly podcast that discusses comics, movies, and TV shows while featuring a beer of the week. Every week we chat about what we messed up on the week before, and then we dive into what we're reading and watching, as well as some news. We then wrap it up with a geek-themed topic of the week. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts by searching Hops Geek News. Cheers. Cheers. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and there is a new show out. Yes, there is. That won over the ODPH societies. Thus far, all the reviews I've heard about this has been absolutely amazing. And anybody that has been wanting something to fill the void between Superman and Lois returning and the brand new James Gunn film, which we'll get into in one shots, I think we have our our show, Pad. Uh, yes, we have. I fully believe we do because debuting on Adult Swim. Mm-hmm was an animated show that we had heard something about, Yep, didn't really know a lot about, and they unveiled their first two episodes this week. Yes. And, Pad, what is that show? That would be My Adventures with Superman. Right. So this is almost like a year one vision mm-hmm. of Superman starting out his superheroic career. Yes. And this has got some very good voice acting to it, the animation style. Uh, really almost had like an anime manga feels to a degree. Reminded me a little bit of Invincible. Yeah, which I absolutely loved. I thought they did a really good job with this. Jack Quaid, who we know from The Boys, mm-hmm. uh, is voicing Kal-El, a.k.a. Clark Kent. Yep. Alice Lee is voicing Lois Lane. Yep. Ismail Saeed mm-hmm. is voicing Jimmy Olsen. And Daryl Brown mm-hmm. is voicing Perry White. Yes. So there is a lot to get into about this show, but we're going to do it like we do on the ODPH. We're going to give our spoiler-free statement, and then we're going to go deep dive into the first two episodes of My Adventures with Superman, entitled Adventures of a Normal Man Part 1 and 2. So, Pad, give me your spoiler-free statement. Well, first of all, I think we've got to give credence and let people know that this is the first solo Superman animated series in 23 years. Holy smokes. Because the last... Now, obviously, there have been movies and there have been other television series animated with Superman in it, but that was always, you know, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, mm-hmm. or, or some variation of that of that little thing. There has not been a solo Superman series since the original Superman the Animated Series went off the air. Uh, its final episode was on February 12th, 2000. 
So it's been over 23 years, 23 and a half, whatever you want to figure the math. That's so crazy. Years, yeah. That we've gone. So we've gone 23 years between solo Superman, Superman uh, cartoon shows, which is wild to me. Yeah, like with what we've seen over the DC animation side of things over the, the years, we always know they come with some real top-notch stuff. Yes, they do. And to see this kind of animation, a lot of fans had questions going in with this. Mm-hmm. But once you get into the heart and soul of this show, yeah, they find a way to capture the real Superman essence. Yes. And I always say that's a little tough to do because we've seen different interpretations over the years. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the Zack Snyder version, yep. whether it's one that you see... Uh, Smallville was one. Yep, that's yeah. another one. Or even like we always praise on here about Superman Lois by Tyler Hoechlin. Yeah. You do see certain elements that represent what we all think of the Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. But few times do we ever think it, it captures that classic essence of mm-hmm. truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But when it does, this reminds you of why you love Superman. Yeah. Because he's the ultimate Boy Scout at the end of the day. Pretty much, yeah. And, and it's almost, it, it's sad to say, but in this day and age, it's almost not cool to be nice. Mm-hmm. So when you see a hero really capture those values, but it doesn't feel too corny or too no. dated. No, It really reminds you about, like, why we care about superheroes. Mm-hmm. And to see how this show played out, I thought they did a lot of really cool elements. No, I did too. I thought how they did the costume, which we'll get into, was very interesting. Yeah. Surprising to a degree. I I did not flip out about it as much as some other people did. But at the end of the day, after these two episodes, I'm hooked. I'm like, give give this to me. No, I am too, because it's an origin story, but it's also not. It's it's taking the Spider-Man MCU take of things like, all right, this character has been around for 80 plus years. You know the story at mm-hmm. this point, or and if you haven't seen it, you've at least heard the story. Right. That like we don't need to dwell on you know Krypton getting ready to blow up and Jarrell and and his wife looking to save their kid and blasting him off and then he lands on Smallville and the yada yada yada. It's like he's already there. He's a kid going through kid things, you know, and it's and it's hitting the ground running. It's not like because I know the last animated series, Superman, the animated series did like at least the first two episodes because I rewatched it uh, when HBO Max first launched a couple of years ago. Um, but I'm a little fuzzy. I want to say at least the first two episodes were heavily focused on the origin story. I believe so. Which, okay. Made, Makes sense. Made sense. It had been a number of years since you had seen the animated, uh, not the animated, the uh, origin story in some form of motion, you know, with if, since the original uh, Christopher Reeve movie. You know, so I, I understood that. But at this point, everyone knows the story. This has got such a Golden Age vibe to it. Mm-hmm. If you've ever read the Golden Age of Super, uh, Superman comics, so from like when they first launched in the 1930s up until 50s or 60s or whatever it is. But it's not a bad thing, mm-hmm. you know, because admittedly, if you if you have the DC Universe app, you go back and read some of those action comics, you know, the original run of Superman, which I've been doing. A lot of it's hokey. Yeah. A lot of it is, you know, hey. A product of the time. Yeah, it's a, pro- it's a product of the time. You know, it, it. you would think in, in kind of the portrayal, I guess, a lot of people have had in their mind is, oh, they're, they're going off and they're fighting war stories and it's stuff overseas because it's World War II. No, like you see it on the cover mm. that there might be, you know, them fighting the war or whatever, but like they're not really doing that. It's they're sticking to home and they're doing their thing. 
you know, but so a, a lot of it was hokey. And this has borrows a little bit of it. But if, if I'm using like cooking uh, terms, it borrows the flavor. It doesn't borrow the recipe. I love that analogy because I agree with you completely. It just it captures that essence, but it just doesn't feel dated. No. And that's something that if you can pull off in this day and age and Superman's 85 years old. Yeah. That's truly doing something right. Looking good for an 85-year-old man. Yeah. Can't go wrong. Like I say, it's the Kryptonian DNA. Yeah. The genes are working, folks. But that being said, let's get into that spoiler talk, shall we? So, Pat, in three, two, one, talk to me. This is one of the better portrayals of Superman I've seen. And it's and it's two episodes in. They're like, don't get me wrong. I love the work they did in the animated series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, and then the movies they've done over the years. Mm-hmm. Those have all been for fantastic portrayals. But there's just something about this that's different. That it, it's taken the essence of Superman and kind of the elements of Superman and kind of put it like a modern twist on it. Mm-hmm. That it's paying homage to the original or origin and the original comics and whatever else. But like, hey, we're, we're keeping our eyes on where we've been, but we're looking forward to where we're going. I agree. I think that this is the ultimate Spider or Su- Superman, much like how they did Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. I think that they really copied the playbook, and there's nothing wrong with that. If it works, why fix it? Well, exactly. Because that's the one thing. You, it's tough when you are trying to talk to new readers about classic heroes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes fans get it, and sometimes fans are like, I don't understand why. Well, and especially with stuff out there like The Boys and like Invincible mm-hmm. and, and you know, uh, what is it? Watchmen and just so many super serious, gritty, quote unquote, realistic takes on superheroes. It's hard for some folks to get into somebody who's truth, justice and a better tomorrow and always doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Because in a lot of folks minds, that's not them. It's them to a certain degree. But they hit points where, like, all right, you know, they, they get frustrated with something, they get pissed off at somebody, and they just want to haul off and punch them across the face. You know, so that's why they relate to Invincible. and Like, oh, hey, we're going to cut loose and, and not really care about what's going on. We'll worry about it later. And with certain elements of the boys, not all elements of the boys, because obviously, yeah, you know, they they relate to that. So it, it's good to see them do do this take because it's different, and I think a lot of people can connect with it. Oh, absolutely. I think there's so much win about this show and it just reminds you about why superheroes really matter. Like the, the core essence, like I would say the two boy scouts that everybody refers to as Superman and Captain America, mm-hmm. because they do the ideals that we relate to superheroes for. And I think you hit it right on the head too, about talking about Watchmen, because I always say that there is a clear cut shift in readers and creators before Watchmen and after Watchmen. Yep. And Watchmen is one of the greatest comics. Hell, it's one of the greatest stories of all time. There's a reason Time Magazine put it on their 100 best books of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. So when you get away from what you know of Superman and the late Christopher Reeve's portrayal in the movies and such, you need that reminder every now and then. Mm-hmm. And I think that DC as a whole recently has gotten back to basics with it. Yeah. We always talk about in the comics and the things uh, – Tom Taylor's run on yeah. uh, Superman right now, Adventures of Superman. Yep. Joshua Williamson on the adjective-less Superman title, which is phenomenal. Yeah, it is. And all the spinoffs. Like, they're putting that emphasis back on the Man of Steel, and I think that's smart. And seeing it done in this way, I really think they nailed it when, right out the gate, 
because we start in Smallville mm-hmm. and we see a very young Clark Kent. Probably, I'd say maybe 10, 11 years old. Give take. Give yeah. Take. Yeah. And you see that first moment he uses his superpowers. Right. Because as he's trying to get his kite out of a tree, mm-hmm. he sees that a woman is distracted driving. Yeah, she, uh, she, she's got her baby in the backseat, and the baby's crying. And while she's driving down the road, she's simultaneously tr- turning around in the seat to give her baby the bottle to stop the baby from crying. Mm-hmm. And, and she says something like, oh, don't worry, well, I'll just take this, we're almost home. Right. But in the line of her driving is a huge mm-hmm. pothole. Not saying a crater, but... Right, no, not a sinkhole. Right, but enough to do some damage. Yeah. So Clark winds up doing what, Pat? So she hits the pothole. The car goes spinning out of control and starts heading towards a line of trees across the street from his house. Or maybe it's on the same side. It's not entirely clear. Uh, she starts heading. She starts spinning for this line, this, uh, line of trees in a forest. And he he takes off after her and grabs hold of the bump rear bumper of her car and basically holds onto it till the car comes to a stop mere inches from the tree. And she just kind of goes, oh, my gosh. And and he lets go, realizing, oh, my God, what did I just do? And she just drives off, not having paid attention to what caused her to stop. And, and then Clark realizes, oh something odd about this yeah and then he looked he realizes what he did and then using his powers he jumps up into the tree and gets his uh kite down Mm -hmm. so it's a very cool way to intro his powers without really spending a lot of time into it yeah and then we fast forward years later clark is now ready to start his uh journey at the daily planet gonna be an intern yes with a couple other noteworthy characters Mm -hmm. his roommate jimmy olsen uh-huh. Who is uh He's an alien conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Sees aliens everywhere. I, I love this take on him, too. It's like the dude from uh, Ancient Aliens on History Channel. Exactly. I'm like, okay, this is going to play out very fun for some moments here on the show. Yep. And then we also see another intern by the name of Lois Lane, mm-hmm. who is very, very determined to become a big part of the Daily Planet moving forward. Oh, yeah. And they start, and Lois is leading the initiative into checking out this mysterious theft of technology. Military uh, technology. Mm-hmm. So she winds up convincing Clark and Jimmy to follow her mm-hmm. and more or less sneak around the docks yep. where this is all happening. Meanwhile, like we did see in a previous moment, the robots that everybody was stealing here mm-hmm. started becoming a little sentient. Yeah. To a degree. Yeah. And I and I have to say, after seeing said robots, they remind me of the Radiance from Radiant Black. A little bit. A little bit. The little robot bit. the big robots from there. Well the other the other issue we've got is in between when Clark and Co- and crew leave the Daily Planet and before they get there, we see a uh, scene with the cr- the crew that stole the the uh, robots. Mm-hmm. And we find like the gang is all hiding hanging out there but you've got these two main characters who they're, they're trying to establish okay these are the two mains of this of this group and how oh we've got issues because whoever we were supposed to have sold these robots to something I forget what something happened to them they're dead they're not answering the phone and so all of a sudden they're stuck with stolen military grade hardware, which obviously the military is going to come looking for, you know, high military grade hardware. And they don't know what they're going to do. And the, and the other one's like, listen, keep your voice down. 
you know, these guys aren't exactly loyal to us. We hired them for money. And if we can't sell this to them, we can't give them money. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they're not going to care about us. They're going to kill us and take whatever they can and leave. Yeah. So as the young trio is starting to investigate this, mm-hmm. well, in typical fashion, trouble finds them, Yep, to say the least. And when they're investigating, well, Clark gets knocked out of the way because... Mm-hmm. You know, we just say it's a nice superhero yeah. cliche moment. So it's a, it's a callback to the golden era of Superman, mm-hmm. you know, where a lot of people think, oh, he just ran to a telephone booth and changed clothes and came out of here, which was the case after a while. But especially early on, uh, he was getting knocked out of like 10th story buildings, 14th, 14th floor buildings. And mysteriously, oh, I fell onto a truck of mattresses. Isn't that convenient? But, like, in between, he'd, like, come in and save the day. So, again, call back to Golden Era. Yeah. So, we do see him disguise himself. Kind of. Yeah, which, like I say, it almost reminded me of the Bruce Willis movie, Unbreakable. Yes. A little bit bit with the the quote-unquote costume, if you will. And I'll say this. It makes the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man first Spider-Man costume look like a fucking master of disguise. Yes. Because... That hood did not cover his entire face. No, not you, at all. You could clearly see half of his face. Mm-hmm. But he does wind up using his powers, and he does stop one of the robots. Mm-hmm. So this kind of builds up a little bit of tension going on. That obviously, Lois is still trying to figure out what's happening and really plays into their history. Right. So, And, and there was a moment where Clark ran into Lois before they got to the Daily Planet. At one in some local eatery, Clark liked to frequent. Where come to find out, he he eats like what was it, like two dozen, three dozen donuts every morning. Something crazy like he that. It's like two dozen, three dozen. He's like, oh no, they're not all for me. And she's and the owner's like, no, he loves these so much, and he comes here so often. We made him his very own bib. Yeah, you know. So they're they're building that kind of like romantic interest between the two. But Lois does see the entire thing that happens. She takes down notes. Jimmy, being the photographer, took f- photos. And they go back to the Daily Planet wanting to present this to Perry. Like, hey, this is a huge story. There's a super-powered individual who can fly and do all this crazy stuff that saved our lives. And Perry basically goes, great, but we can't print any of these. What do you mean you can't print this? This is a huge story. You have to print this. He's like, no, we can't print this because you can't prove anything because all of your photos are blurry. Yeah. So it plays right into the superhero themes that we all know. Yeah. And it's a great way to kind of tie up the first episode, too, because you see Clark finally defeating all the robots. He's saving Jimmy and, mm-hmm. and Lois. But yet, still at the end of the day, yep, he he's his secret is safe for now. However, Lois does coin the name Superman. Superman. So that's how they wrap up episode one. I did. I will say this, though. I did like episode two a lot better. I did, too. Yeah. Episode one was a nice like kind of setup and build up because like you got to introduce the characters and set up how things are going to work. Episode two was better, though. Yeah. And uh, like I say, episode one did its job. And just the only thing that kept throwing me off is the the robots looked like from Radiant Black. Sure. Just way too much for my liking, which, sure. I mean, like I say, if they crossed over universes, that would be a whole different thing. But when we jump into episode two, though, Lois is now become more determined of, of finding out who saved her mm-hmm. and just more of the infatuation behind the Man of Steel. Like, who is this person? We don't know. Yep. But it also flashes back a little bit to Smallville, mm-hmm. and really some area that, I, to, at least to my knowledge, and correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, yeah. they never really dived into his ship was that big. 
it's that always, it went underground? It's always been kind of left up to interpretation. Um, I know in Smallville, it wasn't. It was not that big. Mm-hmm. You know, Smallville was the first one I can remember where they showed the ship. You know, uh, well, no, no. Uh, Adventures of Superman and Lois, not Superman and Lois, uh, uh, Superman, the animated series, his ship wasn't that big. It, mm. it was like a small rocket, you know, so it wasn't that big. Um, Smallville, it wasn't terribly big. It, it was maybe the length of maybe the length of your average dinner table. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it wasn't nearly that big. No, but during this moment, though, we do see like the flashback where. They go, him and Martha and Jonathan Kent go back to where it all began. Right, because this is presumably maybe a couple days after the flashback we saw at the start of episode one, Mm -hmm. or maybe a couple of months. And like he started to figure out, okay, there's something different about me, which we've seen this in all the iterations. Mm -hmm. And so Martha and Jonathan go, all right, I guess we can't hide the truth any longer. Let's go show him. Yeah. And while he's there... He does wind up activating at least a computer-esque portion of the ship. Yeah, he turns something on because he steps onto the metal portion of the ship. It comes to life, and a hologram of Jor-El, his father, appears and starts speaking to him, but it's speaking Kryptonian. I love this point, too. And, and he could not understand it. Yeah, because at least to my knowledge... We've never treated Kryptonian speak as a different language. Uh, they did in Smallville. Okay. They did They did in Smallville, but like they didn't necessarily do it in like a verbal pattern. It was more like a printed pattern. Right, right, right. Yeah. Though I, I think in Smallville they did do it a couple of times, but they didn't really go crazy with it. They dealt with it more in like you can see it printed and he could read it, mm-hmm. but he didn't really speak it all that often. Yeah, but to see how it was done here, yeah. I thought it was very cool because we've never seen a depiction like this. No. And you see that Jor-El is leaving his last rites and you were seeing, and he sounds pissed. Yeah. Like and, we like, and that's the awesome thing. I like it. Maybe I'll have to go back and watch this with subtitles on. Cause maybe the subtitles, they do that sometimes where they still, they translate it, mm-hmm. but like, it's not doing the auto translate for us. So even we, the viewer who are like, you know, third person omniscient, like we're, we know everything that's going on. Even we don't know what he's saying. Yeah. And he just sounds pissed. Cause like, even when Clark starts hearing, like he starts, like I don't understand what you're saying. Who are you? What's going on? Mm-hmm. So we do see the parents almost get sucked into the machine itself because you're seeing these it floating up, yeah. pillars, yeah, opening up. So Clark winds up saving everybody, and he starts getting an idea like I'm really not your son. I'm an alien, and they have like a, a very touching back and forth about this. But with the events that happen in Metropolis, Clark goes back to Smallville. Mm-hmm. And he activates the machine, and while he's there, he almost has like a transformation sequence. Yeah, a lot of people have compared it to the Sailor Moon transformation uh, sequence. Yeah, which you know what, I'm not mad about. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's 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 an anime anime style of animation done. Makes sense to me. Yeah, loved it. So we now see him with his costume, and I I love the fact that his mom was like something's missing yeah. because. It was the new 52 costume. Little bit. The no underpants. Yeah. She added the underpants and belt. Yeah, she did. Which, I mean, I'm not mad about one bit. I was like, this is funny. Because I I think they play it off a little bit from the reaction fans had with the new 52. Like, for me, I like the costume. I did, too. You know, I I didn't get mad that he didn't have the underoos. But, you know what? I understand why he does, and I'm not mad about them. Yeah, I I can go either way. I I didn't hate the lack of underpants. I can stand the underpants. Uh, Either one's fine for me. Yeah, maybe we'll have to have a poll about that. Mm. See, It's been a few years. 
Superman with tights. Yay or nay? I digress. We go back to Metropolis, though, and we do see that, well, the fallout from the robots is not one and done. Nope. And the person that is the head of the thieves, Mm -hmm. if you will, is a very familiar face to Superman fans. Yep. Pad, who is this? Leslie Willis, a.k.a. Livewire. Yes, a very classic villain of Superman. Uh, And you see that she's arranging a meeting with... Someone. Uh, someone, because uh, she goes after some agents that uh, want to have a meeting with her about the uh, mm-hmm. technology. Yeah, because they're, they're interested. Mm-hmm. And then, sure enough, we see another familiar face. Yeah, we do. And you know me. Yeah. I marked out like a madman oh, when I saw him. I know him. you did. I know you did. Because Pad... Who is she meeting with? Slade fucking Wilson. Oh, my God. The show's going balls to the wall episode two. I was like. We're not even an hour into the runtime. Yeah. I'm like, I this is absolutely insane, but I'm here for it. And they're meeting out at like an outdoor cafe. Yeah. In Metropolis, too. It's like the most casual meeting, but like what they're talking about is so not casual. Mm-hmm. And she's basically having a standoff. With Slade, because Slade obviously wants to find out more about what she's up to. And in a very cool moment, she actually had a counter ready for him. Yeah, she did. Pad, what does she have all uh, lined in the sewers of Metropolis? C4. De- uh, C4. Yeah. Detonate the explosives. Mm-hmm. So while this is going on, Lois is determined to find out the true story about these robots and everything. Yep. She brings Jimmy with her. Yep. They wind up going through and find all the C4 lined up through the sewers. Because they're finding uh, Leslie's footprints along the t- sewer tunnel because it's all muddy. Mm-hmm. So they are just they go to walk in the tunnel, and I forget if... I think it's Jimmy who first spots it. Yeah. But he f- spots the first one, and it sounds like it activates. Because mm-hmm. like it's pretty silent, and then he walks by and it turns on. And the further in they get, the more they realize, oh, shit, this... this Entire wall is lined. Yeah. So they wind up escaping the sewers, and sure enough, they walk into the meeting, literally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which Leslie is not happy to see them again. No. And this is when all hell breaks loose because the deal is off, and Slade is like, I'm done playing games with you. And uh, she even makes a comment. She's like, yeah, you're not really covert, are you? (laughs) So while this is happening, we do find out that she has a suit that grants her her powers of electricity. Yep. So to speak. Yep. They start battling in the middle of Metropolis. Superman has to come in and make the save. So now he's in full suit, ready to go. Mm -hmm. And he does wind up getting to like a standstill with Livewire. Mm-hmm. And you see that he winds up smashing or removing, I should say, the crystal that's powering her suit. Yep. So now whatever control she had over her suit is now unlocked and she is just literally mm-hmm. a live wire yeah. of electricity. Which I like this better than the way they did it in the animated oh, series. Oh, absolutely. Because the animated series, it was like she was a DJ in the rain during a thunderstorm and she got electrocuted, mm-hmm. which I'm like, eh, okay. Because during the melee, she does lose her detonator. Yep, she does. So Lois winds up getting it and averts the entire city of Metropolis blowing up. Mm-hmm. And while this is happening, Superman does eventually take her out. Yep. But 
he's too busy to worry about everything else that's going on in Metropolis because during this whole melee between her and Slade, cars are getting turned over. There's yeah. you know minor uh, debris falling. Yeah. It's, it basically looks like your typical superhero fight. Insurance claims adjusters are going to have a good time. Yeah, and damage control is not in this uh, universe, folks. Not yet. So oh, that'd be an amazing crossover, let me tell you. But we do see Superman putting back Metropolis right where it should be. Mm -hmm. So no more floating cars, no more anything. But after Livewire is subdued, he goes back to see her and she's gone. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel this will be the last time we see her on the show, and I hope not either. No, well, there was also somebody else who got introduced. I think it was during the meeting with uh, Slade and Livewire at some point. A certain individual who's the head of Argus who likes to implant uh, detonators in the base of villain skulls. Mm -hmm. Likes to have a certain uh, suicide squad. Mm -hmm. Amanda Waller. Yeah, that came up in the conversation because we do find out that... Argus is a thing. Yeah, a lot more covert action is happening in this animated series, which I am all in on. This show went balls to the wall in 44 minutes, Mm -hmm. and I loved it. Yeah. And you do see that Livewire has been taken prisoner yep. by Waller, Slade. Yep. And we, somebody else. Yeah, we we hear Task Force X is named. Yeah. We're setting up for a lot of things there, which yeah, I like are. seriously I, I hope this show is more than six episodes, to be honest with you, because now I am like all in and I need to have that more just because of what they're doing. Like, they hit the ground running so much. Mm-hmm. And then to even tie up this little Superman story, which, I mean, this plays perfectly into the young story of Clark Kent at the Daily Planet. Sure, Jimmy Olsen gets the picture, and everything is presented to Perry. Yeah. And Perry White's all in. He's like, yeah, we got stop the presses. We'll run with it. And the next day, when the issue comes out, we do find out that it's not Lois Lane on the byline. Nope. It's not Jimmy Olsen. It's nope. not Clark Kent. Nope. It's Cat Grant. There's like one or two other names with it too, but yeah. Yeah, that had absolutely nothing to do with this. Yep. So it'll be curious to see where their story moves forward with the Daily Planet. But overall, had final thoughts on this episode. I lo- these two, I should say. These two episodes. No, I love Superman the Animated Series. You know, it was one of, it was the reason I got into being such a huge Superman fan because I grew up watching, you know, I did, I grew up watching uh, Batman, the animated series. And that led me to find the Adam West series. And then once Batman, the animated series ended the first time before they brought it back in between the two Batman, it, cause there was Batman. And then there was the new adventures with Batman or whatever they called it. There was Superman, the animated series. Mm-hmm. And that's where I first got introduced to Superman and everything. And just, I got hooked ever since. So that show holds a special place in my heart, but this show's, Two episodes in, and it's right up there with it, that it's just that incredible, that good. They're introducing so much. They're not holding back. They're not going, oh, we got to start off slow. This is kind of an origin story. This is year one. Like, no, they're like, we're, go- we're going crazy. We can handle this, and the story's going to follow. Yeah, I fully agree with you. Two episodes in, this is a monster hit. This is better than I, I had envisioned. I think the voice acting that has been done by Quaid and Lee has been exceptional. And we're seeing just these little things that are that just are slowly building into reminding and introducing fans alike to what Superman is all about. Yeah, and it's so modern; it doesn't feel dated. It doesn't feel no. it, it, like it doesn't feel stale. 
the, you can present Superman, and I think this is a blueprint the creator should be following, mm-hmm. that you don't have to really dumb it down for the audience. You just have to really catch wind of what is going on in the world Yeah, and bring those themes of the man of tomorrow to the show and just combine them, and it works. Yeah, it does. Like I say, it's clearly a hit with folks because I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes uh, currently, and the episode dropped on uh, Friday, July 7th. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got this weird release schedule where it airs first on Adult Swim and then it it uh, gets added to Max like an hour after it airs or like the next day, whatever. It's the next day. The next day. Um, But it's been out since Friday, so we're a couple days removed. Rotten Tomatoes, it currently has a tomato meter of 100% mm-hmm. for the critics. And then the average audience score is 83%. Yeah. like And, and rightfully so. I mean, it reminds it, – it's just – at the end of the day, Superman is still one of the greatest superheroes of all time. Mm-hmm. And no matter what time era he's in, mm-hmm. he's still relevant. Like, sure, he might not be the Deadpool of the moment, the Batman of the moment, even at, you know for a little stretch of time, the Frank Castle of the moment. Right. Or the Wolverine, I guess would be a better analogy. Right. He's still Superman at the end of the day. Yeah. And still, no matter what, you know, fandom, I guess I should say, you're, you you feel most strongly with, he's still an important character. And when he's presented right, he still is one of the most popular beings in all of pop culture. This show gets it. Mm-hmm. This show really made a point to make him fresh with a different animation style. The voice acting really nailed it. The script writing is smart. And tying in so many Easter eggs to a broader DCU mm-hmm. is such a smart play out the gate. I can't stress that enough. I have no idea where we're going with the show. No, I don't either. But I guarantee you we will be covering it. Yeah, yeah and, we will. And we're going to be locked and loaded on this moving forward because I just am a, I, I am blown away by the job that they're doing with this series. And I hope to see more comic shows follow suit with what they're doing here. I knew I would be excited and be hooked on this to a certain degree once once the ball got rolling. Mm-hmm. I did not figure I would be this hooked on it this quickly. Yeah, um, but I'm right there with you. But you know what? I'm so glad I, I tuned in to watch, and it was like, man, this is now must-watch TV, folks. Uh, I agree 100%. That being said, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What are your thoughts about episodes one and two of my adventures with Superman airing on Adult Swim Live or debuting on Adult Swim, I should say. Yep. And then replays on the streaming service Max. Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, it's Alan Dunford here from Top Hat Studios, co-writer and co-creator of Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw. And you guys are listening to the ODPH podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have a special guest that just decided to come in the studio. I, you know me, I can't do his intro, so I'm going to hand it right over to him. Greetings and salutations to the ODPH nation. It is I, Off the Cuff Tom. Thank you again for having me, Ken. Always a pleasure being in this folding chair in the ODPH studio. Absolutely. Tom and I got some work to do after the show. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Not none. Yes, so you'll definitely be wanting to keep an eye on the social media accounts over the next uh, week and a half, I would say, at least. 
least and uh we'll kind of unveil what's going on but before we get into that we got to wrap up this edition of the show so pad it's one shot time here's what you got got a couple things to talk about uh first of which is some breaking news uh they decided to wait until before we were done to drop this i love that they're finally doing this too by the way yeah uh we got some casting news for the upcoming superman legacy film uh, so we found this is reading from an article on Deadline.com, and it says, quote, Warner Brothers have begun rounding out the cast for DC franchise resetter Superman Legacy. Studio chief Peter Safran has announced in a new piece with Vanity Fair that Nathan Fillion, Isabella Merst, and Eddie Gathigi coming aboard. Fillion will portray Guy Gardner, one iteration of the superhero Green Lantern. With, wow. With Merst as Hawkgirl. And Githigi as Mr. Terrific. Whoa, Dave, whoa, whoa. Okay. David Cornsweat will play Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman, as previously announced, with Rachel Brosnahan as his love interest, Lois Lane. Close quote. Tom, your thoughts, and you're the guest here. Okay, well, number one, we've already had Fillion do Kyle, uh, do uh, Hal Jordan, excuse me, I'm getting all my, I'm so involved with this Green Lantern stuff right now, I'm just, you know, uh, stuck in my power battery. Uh, but we've already had Fillion voice... Hal Jordan in the two movies, First Flight and then the follow-up to that in the old DC Universe uh, films. So to see him play, to like pivot completely to Guy Gardner, one of the most infamous Lanterns of 2814. Facts. Uh, it's Is this a shock casting? Is this him choosing to do this? Like Someone had to pitch this really, really well. Or, you know, is he trying to get out of that good guy cop thing that he's doing on the rookie right now like you know is this just an actor's choice i have so many questions there's a lot of questions with this pad you guys thoughts here no this is crazy i mean because you think about it we already know superman lois lane guy gardner hot girl and mr terrific are going to be in the movie we still don't have a villain no we don't and i I think the thing with fillion being added as guy gardner i mean obviously we know james gunn he was going to be in the film one way or another but this is a very high profile character for him and especially, I know fans were saying Booster Gold and him were like attached right. for years. For, for yeah, for eons, which had been perfect typecasting. Let's be honest. Oh yeah, I agree. I think this is something very cool to do because, like, much like you touched upon, Tom, this is something he's never really done. Because Guy Gardner is a jerk. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. On a whole different scale. Yeah. That when he got knocked out by Batman, I think the fans were cheering in the streets, and way back in Justice League International days. So to see him now come here and portray him on the big screen, I mean, that's a big move. Yeah. Now, now let's not forget on the flip side, I mean, Guy has had a really interesting story over the the whole of the DC Universe. He's been a Red Lantern. You know, we found out that he's had the uh, the uh, other DNA where he was used that, where he was war the warrior era. The warrior era. Yeah. I mean, he's even become part of the Alpha Corps. Yeah. So, you know, where are we going to get this guy Gardner at? That's a very good question. Yeah. But I, I tell you what, I, I love the addition of him. I love the addition of Hawkgirl, Mr. Terrific. I like, I have no idea where they're going out the gate. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of this, that we know they're casted. And obviously, Mr. Terrific, a very, very popular character in, in the DCU. Yep. He does his crosswords in pen. Yes, he does. <laughs> He's he's fantastic, and then Hawk Girl being added too. Yeah. So, I, like I say, I I'm not saying we're going to see team books. I'm not seeing like I don't know. I don't even know what to expect, but I know I'm in on these. I love all three castings too. Yeah. 
Uh, sticking with some movie news, got to give my brief short review. I did see Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Oh, okay. Uh, this past week, this past weekend, thought the movie was good. You know, it's not the best one of the franchise. I would say it's better. I'll say this: it's better than uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Anything mm. is. Yeah, yeah. It, it's you know, for me in terms of ranking one to five, this for me right now, the card subject to change, you know, order subject to change. Right now, it's number three. You know, it's behind uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Last Crusade for me. Listen, I know some people might be, what, Temple of Doom isn't Listen, Temple of Doom scared the shit out of me as a kid. I watched it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. The the slight horror, you know me in horror, the slight horror aspect of it. That doesn't happen. Scared the shit out of me as a kid. The movie's good. Don't get me wrong. I don't hate the movie, but just I enjoyed this. The thing I liked that they didn't do is they didn't make Harrison Ford, who's 80-whatever years old, they didn't make it unbelievable that, like, oh, he's going around and he's just punching everybody out and he's beat, winning all the fight. No, he doesn't win every fight. You know, there are some fights that, like, he's like, he tries and it's like, oh, right, I'm fighting guys who are, like, half my age. You know, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge was incredible in the movie. Mads Mickelson, my God. Well, like, he, yeah, he's always money. He's always money, but he just was incredible in this movie, start to finish. The story was good. The, the soundtrack, listen, it's John Williams. You can never go wrong with John Williams. And potentially his last uh, film he's scoring. He's hinted that it might be his last. Time will tell. Uh-huh. He's, he's 90. Listen, folks, he's 91 years old. Yeah. You know, so if, if it is his last film, hell of a movie to go out on. And, and to me, this does feel like the final film for the character. They leave it kind of open-ended, you know. Oh, sure, it's Hollywood. It, it's Hollywood, but just the way it ends, and I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it. Go see it. It's a fantastic movie, you know. But just the way they end it, it feels like this is the end. It's it's a great movie. Highly recommend you go see it if you're an Indiana Jones fan or if you're just looking for something fun because it's hot as hell outside right now. This is very true. Yeah. I know our friends over at 3FN. By the way, shout out to them getting hearing a lot of people were down, picked up the downloads of that in 607 TWS this week. So super excited for Rich and the team uh, for getting those numbers. Like yeah. I say, keep that up. They did a great review of Indiana Jones and Dial Destiny too. So if you want even more coverage on that, definitely go check them out. We got the links at odphpodcast.com, but definitely shout out to those guys. Uh, next up, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, striking in Hollywood. No, we're not talking the writer's strike because the writer's strike is still ongoing. No, folks, the uh, Screen Actors Guild, SAG-AFTRA, is appearing like it's going to start striking to, uh, on Wednesday. So tomorrow, if you're listening to this uh, when we release it, or it's happening today uh, if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Uh, but reading from an article on Variety.com. Now, this article is dated July 7th. This is the most up-to-date you know, article I could get on where things are, uh, you know, strike-wise. Uh, the article does say, quote, SAG-AFTRA has taken to the medium of the moment TikTok to send the message that it is ready to begin a work stoppage as soon as next week. The union that is in the midst of tense contract negotiations with Hollywood's major studios published a 42-second video on the social media platform that showed members wielding staplers and duct tape in the the grunt work of making dozens of uh, picket signs. Among the notable SAG-AFTRA members seen in the video titled, quote, If a strike becomes necessary is Yvette Nicole Brown, who is active in the union and a member of its national board. SAG-AFTRA faces a deadline of midnight Pacific time on July 12th in its latest rounds of talks with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. If the Guild walks, Hollywood would be rocked by its first simultaneous strike by actors and writers since 1960. 
SAG-AFTRA represents 160,000 performers. A work stoppage would essentially bring all scripted TV and film production to a halt. The industry has already been handicapped by the pencils-down stance of the Writers Guild of America, which went on strike against the AMPTP on May 2nd. Most TV production in the United States has already been shut down due to the writer's strike, but film production and international TV production, to the extent U.S. actors are involved, would also have to stop if the actors strike. SAG-AFTRA has had an unusually short window to negotiate uh, a long agenda. After some internal debate, the Guild on June 30th extended the deadline for contract negotiations by 12 days in order to stay at the table, close quote. Uh, so there is a slight update to this, though, because we found out today uh, that some Hollywood CEOs and industry insiders are helping are seeking federal mediation to avert the strike. Uh, and this is according to an exclusive from Variety. Uh, and it says, quote, top Hollywood players are working on a plan to call in federal mediators to help avert a SAG after strike with just a day to go before the contract deadline. A group of CEOs and senior executives, including Disney chief Bob Iger, Warner Brother Discovery's David Zlaslav and Netflix's Ted Sarandos gathered by conference call Monday evening to discuss the urgent situation with SAG-AFTRA poised to go on strike as soon as Thursday. In addition to the executives discuss, discussing efforts to bring in federal a federal mediator, talent agency chieftains including Ari Emanuel of WME, Brian Lord of CAA, and UTA's Jeremy Zimmer have reached out to SAG-AFTRA leaders in recent days to offer assistance that could stave off a second Hollywood work stoppage this summer. Uh, close quote. And so then it goes on to tell the information we already know. But we're already starting to feel the effects of this because uh, another article from Variety where, where we were supposed to have found out, I believe today or within the next couple of days, the Emmy nominations, the, tel- the, the TV Academy Emmy, Emmy nominations. Uh, but in an, another exclusive from Variety, the, the entire award show might be pushed to November. Uh, Whoa. The, uh, so the article reads, quote, November or January. The Television Academy and Fox have been locked in a debate over whether to air this year's 75th annual Emmy Awards in the likely event that they'll have to postpone the ceremony. The Academy would like to shift the show to November, something it also did in 2001, while Fox appears to set appears set on a January air date. When the Television Academy announces this year's Emmy Awards nominations on Wednesday, they'll downplay, but still reference, shows September 18 air date. Nonetheless, almost everyone involved inside both the network and organization know that it's extremely unlikely that date will hold much longer. Uh, according to insiders, the Academy and Fox are waiting to see for sure if SAG-AFTRA goes on strike this week, joining the Writers Guild of America and essentially putting all major Hollywood events to a halt. After that, a decision is ex- expected to be finalized by the end of July on when and how to hold this year's Emmys, close quote. So we've already got the writer's strike affecting mm-hmm. things where there's no late night television, you know, so there's no Fallon, Conan, anything like that. Right. I know last week tonight with John Oliver has been off the entire time. You know, TV's been ground to a halt, essentially. Now you've got the movies that are potentially grinding to a halt. So it's going to get very interesting in the next couple of hours, days, and weeks just to see what happens with this whole scenario. 
Yeah, Tom, your thoughts? So I actually have a friend that is the president of the local chapter of SAG after down in my hometown. And trust me, she has been thumping her chest like nobody's been. She is chomping at the bit, ready to go at it. Another thing we also have to consider, and it wasn't brought up in this article, is our, our triple threat, threat type actors that are on Broadway, that are on the boards. Right. Are they going to also join their brethren and say, hey, man, if there's nothing on the screen, we're not even going to do stuff on the stage. Like This can right. be a big push. It's a huge domino effect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is going to be something we got to keep our eyes on for. Obviously, we're supporting everybody on the writers and actors side of things. Yeah. So, it, wait and see what happens here. But you know, hopefully, the right decision is made and yes. people start getting paid. The right decision. Our is for the writers. Here. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, and then two trailers. Got to talk about two trailers that dropped today. The first of which being the uh, new latest trailer for the upcoming Star Wars series Ahsoka. Uh, we, of course, are getting a two-episode premiere date uh, on August 23rd. Trailer, got to say, looks real good. Yeah, definitely very, very impressed with it. Tom, I know when you came in, you were fist pumping. You were excited about this. Uh, yeah, I am stoked. Rebels is one of my favorite TV series of all time to the point that, like, I plan on getting it inked on my body at some point. Um, it's even like the mural in Rebels is my background at work. I, I kid you not. Like I am so ecstatic for the show. Yeah. And to see the the progression and, you know, again, I am completely down for more of a Soka story, but it does feel like the, you know, are they planning on making this live action Rebels? Are we getting Ahsoka? Are we banking on the one to cover the other? It's really interesting. And the other cool thing is, is that a friend of mine's mom is actually on that show. Oh, really? So, nice. Yeah, she had that uh, Beskar spear you know, in the Mando. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. so one of my Ranger actor buddies, his mom is uh, Thrawn's uh, homegirl. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, full circle. Weird, weird stuff. I, I'm just really excited i just hope they don't mess it up we've already seen in this new trailer it looks like we got our epitomous new droid yeah you know because it's disney money they they got to have a new droid we're going to obviously see a new lightsaber yeah we've seen the orange blades so yeah, yeah. you know no, disney's going to make their money i mean let's face it this is ahsoka's this show is titled ahsoka it might as well be titled season five of rebels thank you mm-hmm. because where things left off with rebels because i don't want to spoil it because some of you haven't seen it yet shame i'm not i'm not gonna name names <laughs> ken you no 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 well i'm catching up actually he's, he's catching up but no the, I, we know someone who hasn't seen it i'm not gonna name names yeah they listen to the show they listen to the show uh watch it uh, but but given where it ends and given the fact they announced an Ahsoka series, people put one and one together mm-hmm. and kind of put two into, you know. So I was skeptical at first when they started, like, hinting that the Rebels characters were going to appear in this. Because I'm like, okay, it's it's animation to live action. Is this going to work? It worked brilliantly with Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka. You know, I, I really like that. You know, because at first I'm like, well, it's not going to be Ashley Eckstein voicing the character. Is it going to be the same? Because Ashley... Up until Rosario played her, Ashley's voiced her for every iteration. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just gonna. But Rosario's been phenomenal with it. Um, all the actors and actresses thus far I've seen in the trailers look absolutely incredible. You know, I you, I couldn't tell that's not Vanessa Marshall, other than obviously voice. But you know, the portrayal in live action very much pays homage to Vanessa Marshall voicing uh, Hera in the animated space series. Sp- it's it's what space it is. Mom. Hera is space mom. She's best space mom. Yeah. You know, but th- this show looks awesome. Cannot wait for the two episodes to drop on August 23rd. Then the trailer that dropped that, like, when they announced this, I was skeptical. Agreed. Because it's a rightfully pre- so. It's a prequel movie. It's a beloved franchise. It's a beloved story that's been around for God knows how long. 
But I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot when the trailer comes out. And the trailer for Wonka dropped today. It's the uh, latest iteration of, the, you know, that Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory book series story. It's a whole series, but it's the latest iteration from the folks over at Warner Brothers Picture. But it's not a sequel. It's a prequel. And it and it's a look at uh, Timothy Chalamet is, uh, you know, playing the title role of Willy Wonka. And it's him in his early days. It looks like from the trailer, we're going to get to see some of his journeys and travels of how he became, you know, the noted and storied. Uh, chocolatier we eventually see in the books and then in the movies uh you know it's coming to us from the folks over uh david Heyman is the producer of the movie he of course did the harry potter series so you had me hooked on that one you know i liked his producing work on the harry potter series uh but it, i'll say it won me over and it and it looks fun it's coming out uh this christmas so it's got that christmasy family time feel it looks really good tom it's got that magic that we were missing with t- the Tim Burton film. Yes. I-, I think this is really picking up exactly where Gene Wilder left off or the groundwork that he left because yes. Tim Burton, it was a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. a Johnny Depp movie. It wasn't, it wasn't Wonka. And, you know, those of us who were forced to read, you know, the book series as kids, you know, you were in your head, you're seeing these things and what they're putting out here in this trailer is what we hopefully get in a full movie format. I'm mm-hmm. hoping we're just not, you know, uh, biting into the, to the crunchy middle right now in the trailer. Right. I mean, the thing I like with the trailer is there's a point early in where he says something and I forget what he says, but he goes, no, wait, scratch that reverse, reverse that. that. And I'm like, Oh, that feels like Gene Wilder. Yeah. I think they capture the essence of it. I mean, I don't know. I'm still skeptical of it just because I remember, you know, like Willy Wonka is Willy Wonka. You know, so it's like when you try going back to the well and capturing the magic, I will say there's certain elements that I liked with this, but I'm still like not take my money now. Right. But that's not to say it would not happen. Right. Uh, and then switching over to some video game news, we found out that there's going to be a new Black Panther video game coming to us from the folks over at EA Games. Really? Yeah. So uh, reading from an article on comicbook.com, it says, quote, a new third-person single-player Black Panther game has been announced by EA in collaboration with Marvel Games. Salient details on the project are currently are currently quite scarce, but we know it's a single-player action-adventure bit game based on Marvel's Black Panther. We also know it's in development at Cliffhanger Games, a brand new EA-based studio based in Seattle that is being formed to focus on AAA game development. According to EA, the aim with the project is to create an expansive and re- uh, reactive world that empowers players to experience what it is like to take on the mantle of Wakanda's protector, the Black Panther. The new studio is being led by Kevin Stevens, who previously who was previously the vice president of development at WB Games and studio head at Monolith Productions. According to EA, Stevens is the leading is leading a team of accomplished talent and veterans that have worked on games and series such as Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor, Halo Infinite, God of War, and Call of Duty. Uh, quote, we've de- we're dedicated to delivering fans a definitive and authentic Black Panther experience, giving them more agency and control over their narrative than they have ever experienced in a story-driven video game, said Stevens about the project. Wakanda is a rich superhero sandbox, and our mission is to develop an epic world for players who love Black Panther and want to explore the world of Wakanda as much as we do. Stevens continued, We want our game to enable players to feel what it's like to be worthy of the Black Panther mantle in unique, story-driven ways, and we want Cliffhanger Games to empower everyone on our team as we collaborate to bring this amazing world to life. Close quote. 
So super excited for this because, hey, more Marvel games content because, hey, Marvel Marvel fans, uh, you're doing quite well these days in the video game sphere. Bullshit. Uh, you've, yeah. you've, got, <laughs> you've got Marvel Spider-Man 2 coming out uh, this October. You've got the Iron Man game in development for Motive Studios. Don't know what it's coming out on or when it's coming out, but it's been announced. You've got the Wolverine video game from Insomniac Games coming out for PlayStation 5 at some point. It's been announced. We don't have a date yet. And then there's also the untitled uh, Amy Henning Marvel game from Skydance Media. Of course, Amy Henning is uh, the former head and one of the creative minds behind the uh, Uncharted series from Naughty Dog. Mm. Uh, so you got those ones on top of this new Black Panther game. Marvel fans are doing quite well with games these days. It's an exciting time, I, I gotta say. Marvel, I, when they're full in swing with their video games, I really think that adds a whole different fan base to the comics. Yes. And I think that any anytime you can draw more attention to the comics is a win. Because we often forget, with the TV shows and the movies, yeah, yeah, it all centers back to the comics. And that's what we like. At least that's just me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm skeptical as hell. Okay. Okay, now... Spider-Man's games, Spider-Man and Spider-Man Miles Morales were done by Insomniac. Yes. They did it right. Yes, they did. Okay, now I'm going to everybody's going to have a big sigh when they when I say this. Avengers. Yeah. Terrible game. Good at the outset. Did, didn't really do much after. Did that. not uh, you play, you go through four levels and you've already played the whole game. Yeah, it is you, repetitive. You, yeah, it is divisive. Yeah, the menus were terrible. The options were horrible. The DLC, the oh you need this costume. No, I don't need that costume to finish the game because the game's going to finish itself. Guardians of the Galaxy. They got some of it better, but again, it honestly felt for a moment I was playing Avengers again. I heard so that from people. Yeah, seeing that EA is doing this. I was skeptical going into Guardians based on Avengers. Right. I will still be skeptical going into this new Black Panther game. Mm-hmm. Insomniac, I can't wait to see what they do with Wolverine. Yeah. Iron Man is going to be very difficult simply for the fact that it, those of us who can remember the original Iron Man games back on uh, previous generations, yeah. controls are really janky. Yeah. Uh, trying to understand the flight mechanics was really hard. Sorry, I can go on and on in Soapbox. But again, I just hope they get it right. I'm optimistic because I've played the Middle Earth, you know, Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War, I think is what they're called, games. And I enjoyed those. So I'm like, all right, he's worked on that. You know, he's got this going. I'm optimistic, but like you, I'm still skeptical because they announced the Avengers game and I saw the trailer and I'm like, this looks awesome. Dude, New York Comic Con was crazy. People standing in yeah. line five hours to play a, a demo. What, yeah. what this Black Panther game really needs, just take Arkham, reskin it, and you're set. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Not wrong. <laughs> no, you're not wrong at all. So before we get into the comics picks, we did get a very nice press release from our friends over at Marvel Comics. Yeah. And there is a book that is coming out in December. I'm circling the date when it's coming out because I saw the creative team behind this. I marked out. Holy crap. So coming out this December is a brand new Thunderbolts series. Oh, yeah. But... The creative team behind this, like this, is a take my money now, and I'm I, I'm dead ass serious about this. Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, aka the Hive Mind, and Geraldo Borges, who is absolutely killing it on No One by Image Comics and Black Market Narrative. The fact they're teaming up to do this, I'm showing Tom the lineup right now. There, it's I, I feel they're influenced a lot by the MCU, but I don't care. I am all in on this squad. Bucky Barnes is leading. Contessa, the Contessa is also co-leading. 
Black Widow, White Widow, U.S. Agent. Yeah, this team has me sold on a U.S. Agent book. Wow. That says enough. Right down the date. Red Guardian, Sharon Carter, Shang-Chi. Like, this is a squad. I, I cannot wait to pick up this issue when it comes out in December. It's got me interested. I'll say that much. Yeah. Like I say, just with the creative team that's, that's rocking and rolling here. Yeah. And just, if you haven't read what they've done with Captain America, to say at least, like I say, the hive mind does so much great work that, honest to God, like the fact they got a team book like this and they're going to be doing, you know, Thunderbolts in, in a certain way. Because, like I say, Thunderbolts from its inception has always been a different kind of team book. Mm -hmm. So to see what they're going to do with this cast of characters, and like I say, it's pretty well grounded for the most part, except depending on what they want to do with Shang-Chi. I think if you could see like almost like a reformation of like a shield covert operations, you know, kind of in that vibe, take my money now. And like the whole Shang-Chi thing is throwing me off. Like I understand where the other characters come in, you know, based on my, my knowledge, but I'm haven't been I haven't been following what's going on with Shang Chi. So to see how they've circled him into Thunderbolts, it's yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, <laughs> I I was completely sold. So like I say, shout out to Marvel Comics for sending over that press release. Yeah, I'm already circling it. Like I say, December we will be talking about it on the ODPH. But before then, luckily we have a lot of comics to talk about. Yeah. So Pad, why don't you lead us off? Two, uh, two out this week that I'm going to read because, well, I'm sure the online conversation is going to be divisive enough that I'm going to want to at least participate or read some of the com- comments and know what the hell I'm talking about or reading about. Uh, one of which is Fallen Friend, issue number one. Ooh. Uh, so, yeah, this is the book about the death of Ms. Marvel, uh, written by G. Willow Wilson, Saladin Ahmed, and Mark Wade. Also have author credits. Uh, Care Andrews did the cover art. And then you've got Humberto Ramos, uh, Takeshi Miyazawa, and then Andrea DeVito as artists. Uh, and the description of this is, The heart of the Marvel Universe has stopped beating. Kamala Khan died a hero's death in Amazing Spider-Man number 26, saving our entire universe. Come join the other heroes of the Marvel Universe, the creators of Ms. Marvel, and comic fans everywhere in honoring and remember, remembering one of Marvel's brightest stars. Close quote. I would like to add for now because she's coming back. Yeah, no question about so this. So I'm interested to read that just to see what's in it, how it goes, and just because I know people are going to have some thoughts online about it. Tom, your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts, um, they kill. Again, I am, you know me, I'm all my Power Rangers comic books. Yeah. So. Keeping up, keeping topical on this stuff. Um, the fact that they killed Kamala, who originally I was not a fan of, especially when they were changing up the script of this character and that character, and then coming to enjoy her and, and take her in and really admire where they went with the character to know that they did this. Um, it's a kick in the nuts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm waiting to see how the story breathes out. To be honest, like I, I understand, I, I agree with Pat, and we we talked about this on a previous episode too. This is a temporary deal. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So she, she's got a movie coming later this year. Yeah. So I am fully banking that we will see her at some point return, if not teased in this issue of how that's going to happen. Well, it's already been fucking spoiled. The the cover of the Tony Stark uh, wedding. Right. She's in the background. Yeah. So. I, I feel that we're going to get the answers here in this issue. Yeah. I just, I, and yeah. like I say, I, we can do point A to point B. I think she comes back as a mutant. I mean, that's my unofficial guess. That, I'm with you on that. Because I have not seen anything from Marvel. They have not sent me anything. I want to stress this. 
So I'm just going to say, I feel that we're going to see that. And then when she appears at the wedding, when that happens, yeah. unless they decide to do just a, a th- you know. Unless it's a bait and switch. Yeah, which, I mean, their Marvel has been known to do, too. I, I just feel like with the creators that got behind this book, I'm definitely in. Yeah. So yeah. I'll definitely check it out, at least, yeah. and uh, maybe we'll do a quick review for it. Uh, then you've also got for Amazing Spider-Man issue number 29 from Zeb Wells, because, hey, this book has been something it's been polarizing yeah it's been polarizing. that's the nicest way to put it a lot of fans are yeah. very di- very divided about this book i mean I'm, I'm here for the ride whether i stay on the train and it hits a wall at the end of the tracks we'll see like i said it's not been the best run but it's not been the worst so we'll see where it goes uh, that one's out this week uh you've also got the start of a series with uh star wars you got star wars issue number third darth vader issue number 36 from greg pack uh and this one says death by droid With his Force powers still out of control, Darth Vader is more powerful and vulnerable than ever before, which makes this the perfect time for him to be betrayed by one of his most trusted associates. And astonishingly, it's not Aphra or Ochi. Hmm. Featuring the return of Triple Zero and BT and the deadliest team-up of droids Vader has ever faced. Uh, So listen, Star Wars, it's Darth Vader. You cannot go wrong with that. Lastly, certainly not leastly, from the folks over at Disney, Gargoyles, Dark Ages, Issue number one from Greg Weissman. Drew Moss is the artist. Uh, this reads, quote, in this brand new miniseries, Gargoyles creator Greg Weissman and artist Drew Moss returned to the long lost era when humans and gargoyles lived in harmony. But in a world ruled by superstition and the sword, monsters come in all shapes and sizes. Forces of evil from both outside and within are threatening to destroy this precarious peace with with consequences that will reverberate down through the centuries and into the present day featuring high quality cardstock on every cover. This limited series debuts with a special 24 page main story and every 40 page issue will include a new illustrated text story by Greg Weissman. Uh, you got Demona on the cover. So listen, it's Gargoyles because the show didn't really dwell on the Dark Ages and kind of like the quote unquote origins all that much. It was there for like an episode and a half and then, mm. they, and then they left. So I'm interested to see where they go with this. Plus, it's from the creator, Greg Weissman. Yeah, I was going to say Gargoyles is having this big renaissance in the comics right now. Yeah, they have, well, having the creator behind it doesn't hurt. No, it definitely helps. I mean, if you want to get some eyes on the product, getting the original yeah. mind behind it, always a big deal. Yeah. So for me... I have one book I can kind of talk about now, and I have a few others that I can't talk because of embargo reasons when this drops. So, first and foremost, from Comixology Originals, uh, one of the best lines out digitally in print, Best Jacket Press, Scott Snyder, returns with an all-new series. And this one has a very familiar friend attached to it, Rafael Albuquerque, who you know from when they teamed up on American Vampire. So this is Duck and Cover, this is an absolute must-read series. I gave it a 10 out of 10 on my grading system for this. Set in the 1950s, and it is a story just following a young man who's almost having that coming-of-age story. But obviously, we need to remember the tensions at this time of the Cold War are looming overhead. Something happens, and this is one of the most creative reimaginings of history that I, I think I've read. I absolutely fell in love with this issue, and I cannot stress it enough. It is definitely worth picking up on the digital aspect until it comes out on print because if you're very familiar with this deal, whatever books are coming out uh, via Scott and Best Jacket Press on Comixology, they are coming out later via Dark Horse Comics in print form. So definitely check it out on Comixology Originals. Uh, I'll tell you, I was absolutely blown away by it. 
Over from our friends at IDW Publishing and Dark Horse Comics, speaking of them, Tom, have you ever thought about mixing in the world of Hawkins, Indiana with the heroes of the Half Shell? No. We are here now. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Stranger Things number one. Oh, Lord have mercy. This is an issue you definitely want to keep your eyes on for when it drops. And like I say, it really is appeasing to all the fandoms. We know that the Turtles have had kind of a high-profile year, the coming off the heels of a very successful sequel with the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers by Ryan Parrott and Dan Mora. And let's not forget, Mutant Mayhem's coming up this summer, too. Yes. Yeah. So it's a big summer for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and like I say, this, this crossover issue is one you want to keep on your radars. A lot of good things about this one, so you definitely don't want to miss it. I will add in on it. It's about time that we've had this out, considering the fact that the Ninja Turtles Stranger Things toys by NECA have been peg warmers for months. Yes. So we finally get the book. Cameron Chittock is writing. Pharaoh Pay is doing the artwork, and like I tell you, it, this is going to be something, if you're a fan of both fandoms, you're going to like how this crossover works out. Trust me on that. Over on the Humanoids imprint, this is a book, obviously, MMA comic books. You have my attention. Eight Limbs is a story by Stephanie Phillips, Gia Lali, and it's a very cool story behind the art of Muay Thai. And oh. you're seeing a character kind of come up in Retired Fighter, and she's brought back into this world. It's a very cool read, and if you're not familiar with the art of Muay Thai, this is something you definitely want to check out. Uh, Stephanie Phillips did this very impassioned intro for it, and I tell you what, this has definitely won me over. I really enjoyed reading this book, and it's going to be one that you definitely want to check out from Humanoids. Over on the Image Comics side of things, Deep Cuts number three, Image Comics, Black Market Narrative. This is the history of jazz that is done by Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark. Diego Greco is doing the artwork for this, and the stop right now is in Kansas City. So you definitely want to check out the story going on here. I love how they're doing this. They're infusing the elements of jazz and just taking you through the decades with it. So it's one that if, it's definitely not a superhero book, but it's one that you should definitely keep on your radar, though, regardless. Fish Flies, number one, Jeff Lemire. Pad, this is a horror comic, so I know you're not checking this out. Fuck no. But this is one that was a very big surprise to me, and it's a very interesting story. I don't want to give anything away about this, but trust me when I say this, if you're looking for something very different at the comic shop, this is going to be one you want to check out. It's a very cool story, but it is very, very different. So definitely we're getting two copies for Pat, right? Yes, two copies in the special edition. Well, I do need something to start my fireplace with. Hey, now. He's only saying that, folks, because Pad hates horror. If you, I, I do. Yeah. So, so, like, yeah, if you ever see him, don't give him any horror comics. Don't give him any horror movies. Don't give him anything horror, period, because he just will not do anything with them. They will just gain dust, or like you said, he will, yep. he will do some very unfortunate things. So just give them all to me, and I will take them, because trust me, I really dig this book, and I think everybody is going to want to check it out. So it's, it's very, very different, though. I want to just stress that. Finally on my list, Sirens of the City, number one from Boom Studios. Shout out to Boom, doing big things, especially at San Diego Comic-Con. If you're going to be out there, which we'll be talking about next week in the preview episode, a lot of things happening here, but this is a very cool supernatural story set in 1980s New York City. And it goes into a lot of different directions, but I tell you what, this is going to be one you want to keep on your radar. Uh, Joanne Starr. And Kari Randolph are the creative team behind this. And let me tell you, 
is not your average story by any stretch of the imagination, but is going to be one that you definitely want to keep an eye out for. So many good things at the comic shop this week. So as we always like to say, make sure you go out and support your local comic shops wherever you're at in the world and go support your favorite independent podcast covering comics too because we're all putting a lot of good work to give you great recommendations. And if you ever need something, definitely hit us up and we'll point you in the right direction for that. Before we sign out, obviously we have a guest in the building. So Tom, let the people know where to get a hold of you. You can find me on all the social medias. Now, right now we're having a little fun. It's a little uh, wibbly wobbly timey wimey. You'll find me either off the cuff gaming or off the cuff Tom, your pop culture connoisseur. And for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So thank you again, Tom, for swinging through. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. For the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.